Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Paymar, and you are listening to The Big Shift, the podcast that looks at the massive changes our world, our country, our politics, our economies, and our institutions are confronting. Today, we're delving into the issue of immigration. There is rarely a day that goes by that we don't see tragic stories of immigrants trapped at the Mexican border, immigrants being deported, Immigrants being shipped across America by Republican politicians who are sending desperate people to northern states. To discuss the big shift America is confronting on the immigration issue is Ambassador Ricardo Camara. As a career diplomat, Mr. Camara has worked around the world for the Mexican government, including postings as Deputy Consul General in Paris, Director General of Economic Relations for Latin America and the Asia-Pacific regions, General Counsel and Deputy Head of the American Mission in London, and Ambassador to Vietnam. Mr. Ambassador, welcome to The Big Shift. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for having in your Big Shift uh, program. And Ambassador, it goes without saying... Uh, we have a major problem on our shared border due to extreme poverty, persecution by governments, threats of death from drug cartels. Over 200,000 immigrants streamed across the U.S. border in 2022 from Mexico. But m Americans, you know, Ricardo, might be surprised to know that 63 percent of the immigrants were from countries other than Mexico and Central America, but they came from Colombia, Cuba, Nicaragua, Peru, and Venezuela. There seems to be a misconception in the U.S. that the immigration problem is an influx of Mexicans and people from Central America. Your view? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And it's really, a, it's, it's, it's the first time we are facing this flu of migrants and uh, actually, since the previous uh, administration with the Republicans, they didn't allow them to pass through the, the, the border between Mexico and the U.S. So they remain in Mexico. And this policy is still going on. So they are not, I mean, they are, they are making new rules and, and they are not allowed to ask for a, a political asylum. And they have to either do it in their own country or stay in the Mexican border until the new, the new regulations come out. But it's been for years. And the problem now, and I was, the other day I was walking through a, a migration facility here close to my house. And you, you know, there are people queuing in this facility since three o'clock in the morning asking for temporal papers to be in remain in Mexico while they are still continue dreaming that the U.S. is going to open the border. But in the meantime, they are here. And, and unfortunately, I mean, Mexico has not the resources and facilities to have shelter for all these people. In America, if you turn on the news, you see these thousands of people lining up to get into the United States but most are not allowed to cross the border. Instead, they're more or less trapped in Mexico and unable to return home. It's kind of like a no man's land. And, and this has to be creating heavy costs for Mexico. And how's the government dealing with this extreme emergency? Well, you know, the, the Mexican government is, is putting a lot of resources to help these people. But I mean, there are thousands of them. I, I, I mean, 
uh, I don't know for people who have been in Mexico City, uh, we have never seen so such a flu of migrants, and um, mostly of them sleeping on the street, oh. or begging or begging outside the commercial centers, and with kids. I mean, there is not only adults or youngsters that there are labor force. There are families, complete families. And this phenomenon that you see and you witness in Mexico City is all around the country. I mean, Chiapas, the border with Guatemala, is even worse, the reality. And of course, there is no way, there is no economic power to supply the needs of these people. And they, as you mentioned, they don't want to go back. And for the first time, we see that this is mainly economic for economic reasons. And of course, there is some, some threats from drug laws, in, especially in some Amer Central American countries. Well, I have to say, Ambassador, if, if my family was threatened with violence, with hunger, with no hope for employment, I, I too would be lining up to try to create a better life for myself and my family. It seems to me anyway, unless we come to grips with poverty and violence in the nations where immigration originates, we'll be stuck in this quagmire. I mean, do you see any solution to the immigration crisis? Well, you know, one of the things that uh, President López Obrador is trying to speak out is that one of the, the answers will be to invest, to put more resources in those countries, especially in Central America. And Mexico has done so, and is supporting some programs to try to keep people in their own land. But, you know, it has to be a huge investment. It's not a, because for years, for years they, they haven't received investments in Central America. Many of the countries live only from the money that they receive from the families working already in the U.S., so it's, it's not easy to, to make the change one day to another. But if we don't start soon, it's going to increase the problem. I mean, it's, it's, it's a non-stopping problem. But well, the, 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 the economies in Central America and in places like Venezuela are, are, are close to collapse. Yeah, well, that's, that's the, other, the other side of the coin. There are countries that they are really suffering, not only because they are not managing well their economy, but also they have uh, new uh, embargo regulations that they cannot, for example, using their assets they have in, in UK banks, for example, the case of Venezuela, all the, all the assets are frozen. So, you know, it's, it's not so easy and it will take time. This should not just be a Mexican problem. I mean, they're the immigrants are coming into Mexico, but there are economic reasons why they're trying to flee the home countries. And is America doing enough, in your view, to help Mexico deal with this crisis? Well, uh, you know, there is an agreement, for example, that uh, it was passed by presidents, uh, the president of two countries, that they say that the U.S. is going to give 30,000 uh, visas for these migrants, and then we have to give the same amount for the for them for the migrants that are in Mexico. But we're not talking about thirty thousand; we're talking at two hundred thousand. Ambassador, one point that really stuck out to me: I was re reading through some statistics. Currently, many of the immigrants are Chinese, Russian, and Indian peoples 
who are being allowed into America from Mexico as they flee persecution and war in their own countries and they're looking for a better life in America. I mean, it appears to me on the surface to be somewhat discriminatory against Latinos. Well, you know, it it has always been. (laughs) I mean, it's not not new. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the fact is that, uh, for example, the the war against uh, the war between Russia and Ukraine, so there are many Ukrainians that come to Mexico or fly to Mexico to go into the U.S. And at the beginning of the war, the U.S. authorities were allowing those people and Russians to go into the U.S. Now they decided not to do it anymore. So now in the border states, especially in the side of California, you see a lot of Ukrainian people waiting mm-hmm. for, for a, a permit to get in or Russia, by the way. Right. So it's, 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 yes, and it's discriminatory. I have to mention that there are Asian people, I mean, from Syria, from Palestine, here also waiting uh-huh. for to cross the U.S. It seems to be an insurmountable problem. And it strikes me as being ironic. In the U.S., we have over 10 million job openings, but only... 5.7 million unemployed workers. So if every unemployed person in the country found a job, we'd still have 4 million open jobs. And I would hazard to guess that the immigrants on the border would be thrilled with the chance to work at just about any job to gain a fresh start in their lives. And U.S. employers would be relieved to have the workforce. So why can't something be worked out? I mean, that's one, one thing that I experienced while I was a uh, general consul in Atlanta. I was covering three states, uh, Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama. And among these three, con- uh, three states, I have to look after or to help Mexican workers without papers that were almost one million people working there. But uh-huh. they were working. They were working. They, they are not afraid of working. They are working people. And people, unfortunately, people in the U.S., they don't like certain kinds of jobs. So they are unemployed because, you know, the job is not at, the, at their level. Well, I don't know what is the level, because if you are, <laughs> you need to work to, to sustain and, and, and provide to your family, you don't care about what job you have, even if you are in many instances, for example, with these migrants, they are professionals. Mm-hmm. But when they move to the U.S. and they say, okay, you can be an Uber driver, you say, yes, I can do it. You, you, do, what, you do what you have to do to support your family and to survive. That, that's the, main, that's the, main, the main goal in life. As you said, you have all these facilities of, of working uh, places, but they, I mean, people, they don't apply for those. Well, let's switch gears to issues that are driving some of the immigrants north uh, from Central America and from Mexico and from Colombia, the drug cartels. We, we know they are extremely violent and capable of the most heinous and egregious crimes. In fact, in the last 10 years, 350,000 people, if I'm correct, in Mexico have died in drug-related violence. 72,000 people are missing. And that's just Mexico. If you add in Central America and countries like Colombia and Bolivia, the number would balloon. But the U.S., the United States, consumes more illicit drugs than any other country on Earth. We are the market. 
south of the border, the source of the drugs. In my lifetime, there doesn't seem to be any real progress in putting an end to drug use or the carnage associated with it. Do you, do you see a way out of this horror show for both countries? If we recall, it was President Reagan who started this war on drugs. And since then, I haven't seen a change. Mm. The, the demand and the consumption is, is growing. And, you know, we have seen, yes, uh, there was a plan Colombia, who, who, who I mean, they, they tried to, to destroy these uh, drug cartels. But what happened is instead of having Pablo Escobar, suddenly they have 100 Pablo Escobar cartels. Mm -hmm. And they tried to apply the same policy here in Mexico with the big difference that here, the DA agents are not allowed to carry guns. You see? So, All right. And what happened is the, the drug cartels and the boom in Colombia, they moved to Mexico. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the Mexicans start being the public relations of Colombian cartels and because they know the market in the north. So right. at the beginning, they just were receiving drugs to sell it to the U.S. Now suddenly they didn't move money. They they pay with drugs, and for the first time in many years, we we start having problems of consumption of drugs in Mexico, high drugs. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a problem. But also, now you have the new chemical drugs like fentanyl that is coming from China, but is produced or, or developed here in Mexico, and then send it to the U.S. But also at the same time, Mexico requests to do something against the gun, uh, guns production in the U.S. because they are coming illegally here. And suddenly you have that the cartels are better armed, better equipped than the, the army who is trying to stop drug cartels. Uh, is the army really trying to stop the cartels? Because I keep hearing stories of high-level military people in Mexico who are involved in corruption and uh, working with the cartels because, you know, I mean, they, they could get paid millions of dollars for turning their head the other way. The fact of the matter is that now they are really, they are really investing a lot of resources to stop this drug uh, problem. So, Ambassador, uh, on the other side of the coin, we have, and you mentioned this gun running from uh, America to Mexico and Central America that is allowing the cartels to gain firepower, that they need to operate the illegal drug trade. In fact, somewhere in the neighborhood of 70 to 90 percent of guns recovered at crime scenes in Mexico were trafficked from the United States. Huge profits for gun manufacturers and gun runners. It seems there is a connection to this two-way street of drugs coming north and guns going south. What's your viewpoint? Well, that's, that's a, our real concern. And we have been uh, in negotiation for years with, uh, with the U.S. authorities in order to stop this smuggling of armament from the U.S. to Mexico. But you know what is going on here is that even if Mexican citizens are allowed to have guns, very, very few people have guns. We, are, we don't have this fascination for guns. But, of course, when the smuggling, I mean, there are uh, data that mention that there are almost two and a half million armament running into the territory, in the Mexican territory illegally and freely. And, of course, if you compare this uh, amount of armament with the U.S. standards, it's nothing, it's just a drop. 
But for Mexican people and for Mexican government, it's really a big problem because then you have to face these uh, drug cartels with armament that the army doesn't even have. I mean, they are grenades. They are really sophisticated armament. And as you mentioned, 90% of the armament and U.S., the rest is from the eastern countries. But, you know, the, the real weapons and the facility to get those weapons in the border, that's what is worse. So there are, they are, uh, they are concerns in both sides of the border, and they are going to develop new techniques, new technology to, to really control this smuggling of fentanyl, but at the same time of uh, armament. But we, are, we have been talking of a smuggling of armament at United Nations everywhere, everywhere. We, we are really, really concerned. And, and they, I mean, apparently, the, the business is as huge as the drug. What is really just insane is that 44,000 people died due to gun violence in 2022 in the United States. We had 647 mass shootings. But in Mexico, as you kind of alluded to, the, the average citizen does not own a gun. It's very difficult to legally buy a gun. Uh, and random shootings are virtually non-existent except in, in cartel territory. If yeah, you, I mean, the, yeah, well, if you compare the 2021 figures, Mexico City has a lower murder rate than Portland, Dallas or Minneapolis. I mean, what's your view on the way that America sees Mexico as a country of bloodshed? Well, that's that's one of the misunderstandings, because, of course, there they is, uh, as you mentioned, there is violence, but not I mean, I mean not as, as as the levels that you you are experiencing and you know people are, are peacefully living here even even there if they are for example countries like canada and, and the us that the, the state department is obliged to pronounce the 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 if they find that there is a place with danger and then advise their citizens not to go not to go to those places, but we witness here that the the figures there were twenty million people, twenty million tourists last year. Right. So I mean, is is there is there is one thing that happened in the press, in the foreign press, and the other thing is reality. And of course, there are cases and there are places that you cannot go, even as Mexican, because we know that is a, a hot spot. But we, we we have the same kind of situation in the United States. I mean, there's certain neighborhoods that you don't go to, uh, and uh, there's certain areas that you just stay away from. You know, Ambassador, many Americans, uh, especially those who watch and read right-wing media, believe there is a wave after wave of Mexican immigration into the United States. And there's this thought that many southwestern states are becoming minority majority states as a result. and But since COVID hit the U.S. hard in 2020, uh, many Mexicans went back home. They left the United States. Plus, there are something like 1.6 million Americans now living in Mexico today because of the cost of living and your wonderful climate and also because of the political polarization and divisiveness in America. It's driving people to leave. Uh, so there's a lot of misconceptions going on. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a fact, and this is, uh, I mean, there's especially there's some concern from Mexican residents in certain areas in Mexico City, because as you you say, it's a big influence of uh, 
American citizens coming to Mexico because of COVID and because COVID forced them to work at home. And then, of course, if you are going to work at home, you try to look for a better place with the same facility of internet, but less expensive and a better food. I'm not comparing <laughs> food, but I mean, it's, it's a fact. And then a better climate. And yeah. Yes, and there's another another thing that American citizens have the right to be to remain in Mexico for six months without any any paperwork. Right. So they stay here six months and then they move and as uh, uh, back and then they come in again another six months and they go like that and being like that you know they are not obliged to pay taxes here so they only pay because they are still receiving their dollars. The dollar salary, so they pay the taxes in the U.S., but they 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 live here and they live peacefully and without problems. But you know, yeah. migration migration and Mexico's topic is mm-hmm. a, is is a very very sell uh, news in the in the in the spectrum of press uh, media, and 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 now we are going to start witnessing more and more because. The U.S. is going to a political campaign again. So the best topic is to talk about uh, talk about migration, talk about drug laws in Mexico, and talk about the violence in Mexico. And we are ready to start listening. Let's talk about a few positives between our countries. Trade, for example. Uh, it's... Uh, Mexico is a major trading partner of the United States, either number one or number two. It's either Mexico or Canada, depending on the year. Total exports between the two countries over $600 billion a year. Uh, with America's trading relationship with China fraught with with friction right now, many now believe we should be bringing manufacturing back to the states and nearshoring in places like Mexico rather than offshoring in faraway places like China, which is an adversary. And we, you know, we, we saw those massive supply chain disruptions that occurred during the pandemics. Thoughts on how we can create even stronger bonds since we're neighbors? I believe that's the way to, to, that we have to develop in North America, especially with, with the framework of the, the free trade agreement with Canada and the U.S., and every minute, there are two million dollars flowing into between the two countries. It's one of the borders more, more with more with more movements in the world, mm-hmm. and we are sharing more than two thousand uh, miles of border. So, right. uh, and then with the COVID, as you mentioned, and the presence of China. And suddenly, uh, we are we are the one of the main exporters of automobile in 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 the world. But suddenly, we didn't have or we didn't receive, and the U.S. didn't receive, or Canada, we didn't receive the chips and conductors from the from China. Mm-hmm. So the, the the production stopped or have difficulties. So now, the, when the three leaders of the three countries met in Mexico in January, they agree to develop and invest in this kind of industry, chief conductors. And actually, President Biden mentioned yesterday that uh, the, the, the U.S. was one of the leaders of, uh, of that field 
Right. And they're, they're, they, they, the, the presidents, Biden and Obrador, they, they discussed this shared vision for each increased economic integration, uh, including incentives under the Chips and Science Act to promote investment in semiconductor zones along our, our common border. Uh, this seems to be uh, far more productive in an approach than what we saw in the Trump administration. It's really a positive change. And also it applies also for the new en energies. I mean, lithium, for example, lithium, there's a factory that is going to be built in, in Sonora. And the, the two countries, I mean, Canada and the U.S., are the ones who are going to be the first partners in this developing. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, if you control this lithium, in, <laughs> I mean, we are going to be really strong. We, we send you a lot of uh, refined petroleum products, and but you, you have a, a lot of oil off your coast, right? Yeah, right. And, and we are buying a lot of refined petrol, but also we just, I mean, the government recently just finished to buy a, a refinery in Texas, mm -hmm. <laughs> and we are going to, to work it out, and, and we try to to depend less on, on refined products from the U.S. Well, in, in, in closing this out today, Ambassador, if you had a, a crystal ball and, and you could look into the future, how do you view the relationship between the U.S. and Mexico evolving over, let's say, the next 10 or 20 years? Do, do we get a handle on immigration? Do we get a handle on drugs, on gun running? Does, does trade continue to accelerate? Do we continue to cooperate uh, as two nations that share this 2,000-mile border? You know, uh, Jim, they, they, we have had relations for more than 200 years. And apart from the, the, the problems we have in 1848 and, and, and we lost 55% of our territory, the rest has been, I mean, with difficulties. And I think, as uh, you pointed out, the only way we can continue, and, and it's, it's good for, for both countries and of three countries with Canada included, is to develop new sorts of new ways of uh, exchange trade and more fairness in these negotiations. And of course, it will be lovely. And, and I remember when the negotiation of NAFTA started many years ago, Mexico was claiming that we should put migration in the top priority, mm -hmm. uh, freedom of movement between our countries like the European does. Right. But, you know, it's, it's not easy to, to handle because, of course, when there is this misconception that Mexicans are not working, uh, are not hard workers, then they, they, you have a problems with the people in the U.S. The border wall. Uh, America and Mexico share this huge border. Uh, and the wall is estimated to cost somewhere around $15 billion. And it seems very difficult to ascertain how much has really been built and when, and if it will ever be completed. But if it is completed, do you do you think it will even stop illegal immigration? And and there are those who claim it's an environmental disaster for wildlife and the Rio Grande region. Your thoughts on that? Well, you know, the, the wall is a, a sad story, and especially between, between it's a wall with two friendly countries. We have other walls, and we have witnessed other walls in the world, but between enemies. 
not with your friends. Right. I mean, there are still walls in Israel, but here mm. is between friends. And of course, as you say, it's a waste. I mean, it's a big investment, and and we find that it's a waste of money because migrants still go under the wall. I mean, right. You build the wall, but under the wall, you don't build. So they go and they pass through, and they are there are places where they they cross but of course they are those places are more dangerous to cross than they they used to be without the wall but unfortunately uh, the wall has stopped for some time mm-hmm. construction and i don't know what is going to happen with the next government in the us i hope they will continue to be uh, as they are now and they will stop uh, this nonsense and there's also the thought i mean Immigration can come across the the Gulf of Mexico. Immigration can come in from the Pacific Ocean. Uh, It it seems like you're never going to stop it as long as the economic opportunity is in the north and lack of opportunity south of the border. As long as you you still, oh, there are many people who will live on the American dream, you are never going to stop migration. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's one of the difference they deal migration in the U.S. If you are highly qualified uh, on, on maths or science, you are welcome. If you are a, if you are a handyman, you are not welcome. Right. The, right. the truth of the matter is that you need the handyman. You know? We need a lot of workers in America. That's You go to any city in America right now, you see help wanted signs everywhere. Mr. Ambassador, as usual, there's never enough time and uh we could talk about these issues forever but we have to leave it uh at this point uh i i want to have you back on the big shift and i want to thank you for being with us today thank you for uh, jim to invite me to the chip and let's keep uh, optimism that's that's the way we have to to deal our relation between mexico and the u.s with optimism Okay, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, living together and finding a way of resolving our problems, uh, solving issues, uh, uh, that's the way to go. Thank you very much. That was Ambassador Ricardo Camara coming to us from Mexico City. I'm Jim Paymar, and you have been listening to The Big Shift, available wherever you get your podcast. And thanks for listening today. Stay tuned for the next episode of The Big Shift coming soon. Stay tuned.